Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. All that happens to us, including our humiliations, our misfortunes, our embarrassments, all is given to us as raw material, as clay, so that we may shape our art. So says Jorge Luis Borges. So the, the first question that I, I tend to ask is, can you describe yourself for the audience? Give them a picture of what you look like. What I look like? Um, physically, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I guess I look Asian. I have dark hair, dark eyes, uh, not very tall, uh, short hair. Uh, what else? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> I love. Uh, no, uh, I love uh, stimulating the imagination of the listener, or you know, as a podcast listener, I love you know how different people look mm-hmm. from their voice or mm-hmm. the picture I form. You know. Yes. Yeah. 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 Even your description, you know, it's going to be different from the way p- people picture you. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The voice that corresponds or not to yeah. <laughs> the corporeal. So, can you describe also where we are? Paint a picture of this. We are in the beautiful city of Sevilla on a hot summer day at the end of June. Um, and we are in a, at a nice tapas place, a nice restaurant called, I think, Las Teresas, Mm -hmm. uh, outside, um, in a pedestrianized zone, Mm -hmm. I think it's called the Barrio de Santa Cruz, Mm -hmm. uh, not too far from the magnificent Cathedral of Sevilla. What did you think of the cathedral? I thought it was amazing. It's did, huge. Did you go last time you came? No, I, I did not go last time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was enormous, first of all. That's the, the, the size of it is what's really impressive, but also the intricacy and the, um, the very beautiful altar. Hmm. Uh, all gold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which took almost 100 years to build, I, I read. <laughs> But yeah, so, um, yeah, a very nice city for this type of conversation. Absolutely. (laughs) And I would add that uh, two things. This is my second to last day here in Sevilla, so it's a very momentous time to make this recording. And you're one of my favorite professors that I've ever had. Uh, Very nice of you to say that. So it's it's a great honor to uh, get to interview you like this. Um, And it's a a strange coincidence that I'm here and you're here. I know. We first met in Portland. Yeah. (laughs) 
And I am just insanely excited because your class, you know, was one of the the threads in the fabric of this this project. Like, uh, you know, I was so excited to take a post-colonial theory class at PSU, and that was the only one <laughs> that I could find at the tail end of my uh, grad school. And it was great. Uh, just insanely influential in my my path as a teacher. Um, since that class, the, the theorists and the books that, that you exposed me to then have continued feeding my imagination, particularly in my teaching, but also in thinking about travel and identity. So, so I want to start with this question to you. Uh, the, the idea of this podcast is that travel changes people. Do you think that's true, or is that just a uh, romantic notion I mean I think it's true that travel changes people but I don't know what that change might involve mm. that is to say the exposure I, I, I think travel is very important because exposure to different places different cultures different ways of doing things different modes of being knowing that those are possibilities mm. and you know that people can live doing things completely differently from how things are done where one lives uh, I, I think that's very important so that's and being sort of able to relativize one's own existence I think that's what travel makes possible mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the other hand uh, you know how far that kind of realization, uh, first of all, is um, takes place, uh, uh, and then how, f uh, even when it does, how um, deeply uh, that that then influences the way one functions as an individual in society. I think th those are questions that cannot be determined in advance. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, you know, I, I think I do think it's important to travel. And I do think travel changes people, but I don't know about the extent of that change or the quality of that change mm -hmm. that I'm less sure about. Absolutely. So, how does it work? Like, what what is it that changes people? Just the idea that people do things differently, or, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I've traveled uh, quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure whether I do things very differently from the fact of having traveled. You know, mm -hmm. maybe that's because I'm too... Um, uh, I, I cannot see myself from the outside. Maybe that's because I, 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 say, I say that because of that. Um, so w w what does change people? I think there are some people who are perhaps more conducive to change, mm -hmm. others who are less, and I think that there are also people who already come uh, with a sense of uh, perhaps, or, or with other experiences, even if they have not traveled. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily for you, necessary for you to have traveled in order to change, but even if they have not traveled, I think there are some people who come with some types of life experiences that enables them to um, then 
experience other places, other cultures, other peoples in a more receptive fashion. Mm. So, so the, it's not necessarily you know the volume of travel, or the volume of things you have seen, mm. but it's also um, a certain attitude that one has developed, whether it's through travel or something else. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that I think would have a, a role to play. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the big questions for me. Does that, maybe we can call it open-mindedness, I guess. Mm -hmm. Does that come from travel or is that why I travel? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I, I've kind of elevated it to this great value, you know, this great ethical thing that people should be open-minded and maybe that's just to rationalize you know my <laughs> pleasure in travel uh, but I don't know yeah maybe that question have you for instance in doing other interviews mm -hmm. have you have people expressed the idea that the, that traveling has been beneficial to them almost everyone says that almost and that's one of the interesting things about doing this, just putting together people's statements and seeing the patterns that emerge, mm -hmm. particularly. People mm -hmm. say, almost every time, travel opened my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> travel broadens your horizon, mm -hmm. you know? Those phrases are repeated mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, you know, what that means. I mean, it's a platitude now. So. I can see, for instance, I mean, so this is where it becomes tricky, right? What do you mean when it changes someone? Uh, does it mean... Um, so broadening horizons, yes, opening one's mind, yes, like, you know, so you see different things, you realize that... You realize that there are these things out there in the world, mm -hmm. these things that you may have... Exp have, have um, seen through TV or images or pictures, uh, then you see these things and experience the smells, the sights, the, the feel of walking down the street, right? So, um, uh, uh, so yeah, so at a personal level, I think, yes, definitely, mm -hmm. it opens one's mind, it broadens one's horizon, yeah. but then what's beyond that, right? Right, so right. That type of change is what I'm less... Um, sure about right so for me I try to use travel as a tool to increase my my critical capacity mm -hmm. you know I find travel makes me reflect back on my own choices or more so mm -hmm. the choices in my culture you know mm -hmm. what I mean like mm -hmm. when I see that uh, uh, you know people <laughs> No, I'm failing to provide an example, but when I see people, or just for example in Spain, people eating so late at night, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it makes me question, well, I could laugh at them and, or, you know, be uncomfortable with that and think, well, that's really strange, but then I have to ask, well, why do I usually eat dinner at seven? Yes, yes, yes. What's yes. The, the cause of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And exactly. I, I, I don't know that that's good or bad. I haven't I mean, it's gone good. beyond that, yeah. but, yeah. I mean, but it, it's makes good. You question, it makes you question, you know? Yes, it makes you it question your 
habits and practices and makes mm. you realize that they are habits and practices mm -hmm. rather than something that is natural. Mm -hmm. right? It's not natural to eat dinner at 6.30 versus 9.30. Right. Uh, so you realize that these are practices that are uh, uh, formulated uh, by uh, uh, societies over many, many years, over centuries. Um, so, and also the idea that well, you know one may uh, um, one may eat you know five different times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Unimaginable. <laughs> I've heard you know there are cultures that eat two times a day, mm -hmm. or even one sometimes. Mm -hmm. I forget which ones, but I've I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I developed this idea that travel is, you know, a great metaphor for education. It is, educa about education. it is educational. <coughs> it is educational, as, as I said, in, in uh, self-relativizing. It is educational in realizing that there are other ways of doing things, mm -hmm. and they are equally valid. Mm -hmm. right? So, I think realizing that in itself is, uh, is, is, a, is a big lesson. Mm. Yeah. So, for instance, I'm traveling with my sister who lives in Singapore and her friend, uh, and uh, so they have this very, uh, and it's it, it's my sister's first time in Europe, and you know when I tell her, for instance, that uh, the Spanish have this practice, which may not be so evident in big cities, but definitely uh, in many places, this practice of uh, a siesta in the afternoon and the shops are closed. Or things are closed to her that's you know, unimaginable or was yeah. Just, yeah. it's very strange it is very strange because in Singapore everything remains open you know you yeah. have to be open for business yeah, yeah. and it's uh, 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 so she's having to grasp the idea yeah. that in other parts of the world whole societies can take a siesta and you know the world does not end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but so I, I've been reflecting on Spain and what what I'm going to take with, you know, or what I expected to find when I came here, and you know, unfortunately, it hasn't moved that much further beyond those stereotypical things. But I've always heard Americans heap abuse on, you know, the idea of a siesta, mm. you know, these, um, I guess, capitalistic cultures yes. yeah. really think that it's uh, a laziness, you know, but I've never seen those Americans work in this heat <laughs> in the middle of the day. Yeah. Being here, I realize it's extremely practical uh, with this climate to, to do that, you know, it's something... I don't know, it's something people don't really understand from afar. Mm -hmm. So traveling mm -hmm. here did put me in contact with closer to what it actually is and mm -hmm. give me a different way to think about it, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah. what are some of the... I'm curious, what's the strangest behavior you've ever encountered through travel that has maybe challenged you the most? Hmm. Strangest behavior. I don't think I can think of anything. Um, I mean, your education 
had travel built into it. Yes. You studied in, yes. in Paris, and uh, so maybe you were already very comfortable. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, every time you go somewhere, you are taken aback by something or the other. Mm. But usually, at least in my case, um, these were. To me, small things. These weren't like, oh my goodness, this is something that I cannot live with, or this is something that uh, strikes me as very, very strange. So, you know, so for instance, even going to the U.S. It was a strange experience, um, and experiencing on on the one hand uh, the capitalist culture that mm. was a, uh, in the sense, you know, and, it's, and I say it's a big term, capitalist culture, but the example I would give is something like uh, uh, on my first day being taken to a um, to get to buy a drink and look at the huge selection of drinks available, <laughs> like 90% of which I did not even recognize. Yeah. And then picking the the one brand, and you know, really, this is uh, uh, picking the one brand that I did, which is Coca Cola. Well, uh, and there were others, Fanta, whatever, that I did recognize too. But uh, yeah, so picking picking that instead of what I later came to recognize, such as Arizona iced tea or Snapple, you know, those are things that I did not recognize. Right, right. So it's it's not really a practice per se, but you know, it's you know, getting used to those types of things. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Fortunately for me, it's been the case that the biggest displacements have involved actually living in the place to which I've been displaced, mm. rather than just visiting for a short period of time. You know, my so my travel for short periods of time really began after uh, I'd been in college. Uh, so. I guess that meant that I was perhaps more open to being okay with things that were unusual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm throwing around the word travel pretty loosely. I mean, there's all different shades, different, different shades types of travel. Of yes. travel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I am most we interested. We are first world travelers. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested in longer term. You, you said displacement, you know, yes. um, and that's something you write about, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. What, uh, what are some things you're exploring around that? Well, I, uh, since grad school, I've been interested in the representation of refugees, mm. particularly in literature and film, which is, you know, my field of expertise, contemporary. Um, so... Now we see, for instance, in Spain is very much affected by it. Uh, uh, Europe is very much affected by it. The uh, waves of refugees uh, uh, and also the uh, many instances of uh, refugee deaths uh, in the Mediterranean. Um, so uh, it, that type of displacement, that type of movement, that type of travel, yeah, yeah. is actually what I'm more interested in than this type of what one could call a cosmopolitan travel, first world travel, although I traveled for a very long time with a third world passport, you know, I was privileged in the sense that I spoke English, I could answer back, yeah. I, could, I had the appropriate visas, you know, although it was, a, um, 
always a hassle to get those visas. I always had them. I could get them. Yeah. I had an income. You know, so. Where Where did you come from? Nepal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I do understand some of. Uh, so travel is not something that I take for granted because it's always been actually the border has, you know, usually been a site of. Uh, of stoppage. It's mm. never been a site of movement. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm more interested in, in instances when travel is difficult. Yeah. When travel uh, involves uh, misery. Yeah. Or uh, hardship, or even death, as you've seen. Yeah. But also, you know, that travel is, if you will, it's uh, aspirational. Mm -hmm. It's uh, invested with dreams. Mm -hmm. It's invested with. Um, Hopes. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, so so it's not all negative. Of course. So I mean, what are we, <laughs> as first world travelers, to to make of this? Like, I I think that my travel is pulling me closer to wanting to understand that kind of travel. You know, like wanting to uh, to be welcoming, you know, like being open-minded, I, I am hoping in me is turning me into a welcoming person, mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. But is it ridiculous to compare because it's wildly different, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can't relate to a refugee. I can't say I've traveled too, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> um, it's, 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 yeah, on, on one level you cannot relate to the refugee, but the, on the other hand you can always try to um, work towards um, it's very hard. I mean, you know, so there are these, this, uh, and I, I myself, I, having thought about this, uh, don't really have an easy answer to any of these things because I guess there is none. Um, so for me, for instance, it's about trying to um, destabilize people's set notions about who is oh, an economic migrant versus who is a refugee. Mm -hmm. you know, so in the, for instance, if you look at the media coverage of the people coming in on those boats, uh, there's been a wavering between those two terms, migrants or refugees. Yeah. And you know, so at the beginning, people used to use the term refugees. Mm -hmm. And then later on, uh, we, the term became more and more migrants. And, and that term is changing the way people react to that term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, because the term refugee for seems to imply some kind of ethical obligation, mm -hmm. whereas migrant is like, oh, this person is coming to, you know, take, take job. our jobs. <laughs> he's going to take our resources use up the resources of the state and so on. Um, where, where does that come from, that thinking? Like, 
I mean, man has always been very parochial. <laughs> Humans have always been very parochial. Sure, but if education is working in a society, isn't that... I don't think I mean, so. Shouldn't that be abandoned? I, I, I just can't understand how that persists so strongly. But, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think education does help. And rational ways of thinking does thinking um, that does help um, but then you know we cannot forget that we do have highly educated people mm-hmm. who make the opposite case where N- Nigel Farage for example Ted maybe? Cruz you know who is also very highly educated yeah yeah so, um, and and he's a migrant. Yes, so, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I think I mean, people tend to look out for themselves mm. more than maybe look out for others or try to put themselves in their place. I guess I, I mean, like, you know, is it just completely naively idealistic to think? You know, migration is is a good thing. The the mixing of cultures. You know, I I think the same thing I get from traveling. People that stay can get from travelers. You know. Yes. 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 And so, I just I don't know why it's so instinctive to fear the traveler. You know. Many economists mm-hmm. say that open borders would actually result in uh, a better economic situation for most people, including the people who leave uh, and the people who stay. Um, And we must also not forget that, historically speaking, and we are in the perfect place to talk about this, historically speaking, uh, uh, movement has been part of human existence in Andalusia, Sevilla is a perfect example of that. You, yeah. you see the Moorish influence, you see the, the history of the Arabs here, you see the history of, for instance, um, uh, the caliphate in Cordoba established by Abderrahman. Mm-hmm. You have this long history of um, Muslims living in this region of Europe, right? Yeah. And you see how much uh, so the city good for the culture benefited. here. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we still see the beauty of that mixing that, you know, despite centuries of re- reconquering, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's still such charge here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, the, and the fact that during that period when, you know, uh, when Europe was lost in where the scholarship of Europe was lost, it was really the Arab scholars who had translated works of the, the ancient Greeks into Arabic that preserved those works. So again, when we think about the so-called Western heritage, mm-hmm. or the European heritage, we do have this uh, big chunk of intermingling, which you know, is still part of uh, uh, Europe now, but that one wants to deny mm-hmm. when one thinks that oh people coming to Europe now with some new thing no it's not yeah. it's always been there people have always moved
uh, I think part of the fear is a desire to preserve a pure, a pure culture. Mm-hmm. Why do people think their culture is pure? <laughs> I mean, if you just start looking even a tiny bit, you realize there is no such thing as a pure culture. I think. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, it's it's uh, in in France, for instance, um, there was this idea of trying to think about Frenchness, what it entails, mm. and uh, it's very hard to say what it entails. Uh, and and when people use this term of being pure French or American or whatever it is, but when you actually sit down and try to pinpoint what that means, what the definition of being French or the definition of being American or Spanish, what that entails, one very quickly runs into problems. Because, okay, what does French mean? Eating crepes, does French mean eating um, uh, cassoulet? You know, what does it mean, right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, or does it mean eating couscous? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, or, uh, so there is no simple way of defining what pure X is. Uh, and this mythical, this mythologized, imaginary identity, um, which can be useful in certain cases, you know, uh, but often it's, in my opinion, it's it's quite harmful. It's you know, the, the whole notion of this identity. I am this. It's a way of saying I am not this, or you are not this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just um, curious what a strong hold it takes. You know, that idea just does not go away. So, why have you chosen France? to keep coming back to? Is it aspirational? It's you convenient. You pure French? <laughs> <laughs> you like something about cosplay or <laughs> eating crabs? What is it? <laughs> um, no, it's just convenience more than anything else. It's a place that I have lived in uh, and lived in while I was in grad school as well. Um, I know the place, I know the language, I know the culture, I know the literature, mm-hmm. I've studied the literature, uh, I know the philosophy, I know the history, so it's the thing, both personally and academically, that I know quite well. Yeah. So, because of that, yeah. yeah. I mean, I do like the country, it's very beautiful. Yeah. And they have good food. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, 
let's transition into story time. <laughs> Tell me your best travel story. <laughs> travel story. Do I have any? I don't know if I have any travel stories. What are you picturing when I say travel story? I don't know. What's a travel story? Like you get drunk under the moonlight? Is that a travel story? <laughs> I've... I had that story, actually. <laughs> Someone told me that <laughs> as their story. And it was beautiful. <laughs> um, I, have, I think I have... Well, let me ask this. Do you think of yourself as a storyteller? You know, you study stories. That's your job. And you mm -hmm. teach others to analyze stories. Mm -hmm. Does that rub off on you and make you a storyteller? Have you noticed? Mm, I don't know. Not necessarily. I don't think it necessarily makes me a better storyteller. Mm. No. Um, I do have. Uh, I I do have. Oh, you know, I do. I do have these. There are incidents when one travels or when one is somewhere mm. that you think, oh, that's kind of unusual, you mm. know, so, or this is, was unexpected. Mm. So I do have those moments. Okay, I'll tell you one from uh, Morocco when, because this involves a bunch of different things. In, uh, in Morocco, this was after my first year of grad school when I was in Morocco studying in Fez, studying Arabic. Uh, at the end of uh, the course of study, I decided that I would travel around Morocco with uh, two of my friends. And we did that. We went to Tangier. We went to... Uh, they were going to go to... Uh, we went to Marrakesh, mm. Casablanca. And one of the reasons for going to Casablanca was actually to renew my student visa to go back to Northwestern to grad school. Mm. and I had all the appropriate documents, but for some reason, the consular officer just said to me, no, you can't renew your visa here, although I think she was wrong, uh, but you have to um, go back to Nepal, and, you know, which was, which would have cost a lot, and I hadn't planned on doing it, and I needed to, back, to be back in time for classes, etc., etc., anyways, which made me a bit depressed or a bit unhappy mm -hmm. uh, so I said to my traveling companions I said to my friends you guys go do your thing and I think they went to Esawira or somewhere like that mm -hmm. so they did that and I decided to just go somewhere on my own and I went to this place called El Jadida which is a beach town uh, but unlike Esawira, El Jadida at that point was still mostly frequented by Moroccan holidaygoers. So I was there all alone, I was just going around, and at one point I uh, uh, was standing next to a bunch of young Moroccans, and you know, so they started chatting with me, and we chatted, um, and then they asked me where I was from, and I said I was from Nepal, and. Uh, so this seemed to have a sense of where that was, and they asked me about Bollywood. And I said, yes, actually, I grew up watching Bollywood movies. And then one of them breaks out into song. <laughs> Starts singing perfect Hindi accent, a Bollywood song. The words, I don't think he understood any of them. 
but he they obviously watch Bollywood movies and this is one of the older songs in fact because I don't really know the newer Bollywood movies it was one of the songs from a film from my childhood so I was very surprised <laughs> 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 but that completely cheered me up. <laughs> Had you been speaking in Arabic or Yes, we'd been speaking in a mishmash of uh, Arabic and French. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened with the visa? Did you So after that, I decided I'm just going to go back and try again. And I went back to Casablanca, went to the American consulate, and I, you know, submitted my application again. This time, it was a different consular officer who noticed that I'd been there before. But I said to him, "Listen, you know, I think this is, you know, this can be done." And, and it was. It was done. I got my visa, and I was good. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> do you remember the name of that song? No, I do not. <laughs> do you remember any of the lyrics? No, I do not, and I cannot <laughs> sing it for you. <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> story in English and we encourage you to take a look at kiva.org k-i-v-a dot o-r-g it's a great way to make a small uh, loan to a business owner in a, a country that uh, makes getting capital difficult kiva K-I-V-A O-R-G Thank you to Dana Boulay for providing the music and thank you for listening. <laughs>